Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast ministry of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. This past Sunday at Bethesda, we served communion, and Pastor Roy gave a message called Remembering Christ. The passage for today's message is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 30. Open up your Bibles and follow along as Pastor Roy shares about the importance of communion. Corinthians chapter 11 this morning, as today we are remembering the Lord's table in communion, and today we'll be focusing on 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. The Apostle Paul pens these words, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Today, our focus is on remembering Christ. And there are three things I want us to focus on this morning as we reflect upon the death and the sacrifice of Jesus. The first one is this, remembering Christ magnifies the honor of Christ. When you and I take time to remember the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, we are honoring Christ. Our motivation for participating in the Lord's supper is to honor Christ. The Lord's Supper is a memorial to help us remember what Christ has done for us. Think about the things that we have put in place even historically in our culture to help us remember. There's a number of memorials that we could point to. We go to Washington, D.C., and we see that there is a Washington Monument there to help us remember Washington and remember the foundation of our country, the forefathers who shaped our Constitution. We also have a Lincoln Memorial and a Jefferson Memorial, and those are there in stone so that they will be there generation after generation to help us remember. There's a Vietnam Memorial that is there to help us remember the men and women who have given their lives for the purpose of our freedom. But each one of those is a visual reminder 
of something important, an important event, important people that we need to remember. The Lord instituted this supper that we might remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And in the process of remembering that sacrifice, we are honoring Christ. We're remembering what he did for us. In Germany, Oberammergau, Bavaria, Germany, back in the 1600s, they began a passion play. It is the oldest running play in the history of our world. Why did they start doing that in the 1600s? They started doing that in the 1600s because of the bubonic plague, which was also called Black Death, which destroyed and took the lives of some 25 million people in the 14th century, along with a couple other plagues. And so they instituted this because they really believed that in their town, God spared the lives of people in their little village. And to show gratitude and honor to Christ for sparing their lives, they set up this passion play as a memorial to God. And so in like 1634, they ran their first passion play. And they did it every year, but as word spread about it, it became too expensive for them to do every year. So they began instituting this play every 10 years that the year ends with a zero. So every 10 years they run this play and they run it for five months straight. And it's a five-hour play. Uh, they have a break in the middle for, for dinner and it goes for five hours. And they put in over 100 performances over those five months. They have over 2,000 people involved in the cast. But the purpose of the whole thing is a memorial to God for sparing them. So the next one will be in 2020. A wonderful play. There are also other things that God has instituted. There, well, there are visual reminders in our culture. And these are just things corporately that we see. When we drive by and we see the golden arches, we know immediately we think of McDonald's. When we see the interlocking multicolored rings, we think of the Olympics. When we see the bold check mark, we think of Nike. Uh, every one of those are a symbol, a reminder, a visual reminder of something. God has given us the cross. He's given us the Lord's Supper as a visual reminder of what he has done on our behalf. We also have Old Testament reminders. We have the rainbow. We have the Ark of the Covenant. We have Jacob's well. All of these are symbols and reminders of God's faithfulness. The Lord's Supper was instituted to remember Christ and the sacrifice of his body. That he was sacrificed, that he gave his life, that he was beaten and tortured and the father had to turn his back on the son of God when he took upon him the sins of the world your sins and mine as we sang about this morning I couldn't help but think about when we were singing Jesus Messiah the rescue for sinners and when we were singing that this morning I, I had to say the rescue for Roy Burkett the ransom from heaven the ransom for Roy Burkett, 
That's what he did for me. That's what he did for you. We can put our name in there. It's not just a memorial. It's a reality of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That he rescued me from my sin. In other words, if Jesus had not died on the cross, I would still be in my sin, headed for a Christless eternity in a place the Bible calls hell, apart from Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for me. He was the rescue for me. He was the rescue for you. He is the ransom. He is the one who bought us out of the slave market of sin and delivered us. When we think of that word redemption, it means to buy back, to buy out of. He took us out of the slave market of sin and delivered us because he sacrificed his body on the tree. Not only did he sacrifice his body on the tree, but he shed his blood on the tree. His blood was shed that we could be forgiven because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. His blood was shed to purchase our redemption. It says in Ephesians 1, 7, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Every other religion in the world is a religion of works. Where people will come to God and say, I treat people right. I do the right thing. I'm a good person. I give money to charity. I help the poor. I do good things. I treat people well. That's wonderful. But it will not erase the debt of your sin. It will not erase the debt of my sin. God said our righteousness before a holy God is like filthy rags. In other words, he doesn't accept it. The only thing he will accept is the blood of Jesus Christ that covers my sin and cleanses me of my sin. There is nothing else that will satisfy the wrath and the holiness of God because God hates sin. And his wrath against sin will be poured out one day on everyone who has not had the blood of Christ cover and cleanse their sin. That's what the Bible teaches. Unfortunately, every other religion, Islam is a fast-growing religion, but Islam is believing in their good works. Muslims believe in their good works, their good deeds. If it outweighs their bad deeds, they'll get into heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it was the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ that takes away the sin of the world. This redemption means God has purchased us. He says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, You were bought at a price. We were bought at a price. And what was that price? It was the highest price that could have been offered. And that was Jesus Christ, God's only son. There's no higher price. There's no greater gift. There's no greater thing God could have given than the person of his son. For us, we were redeemed from the penalty of sin. Think about that. The penalty, the condemnation, the guilt, the judgment, we have been delivered from that because of the blood of Christ and his sacrifice. We were bought at a price, and it was a price the son was willing to pay. And I'm glad that he was willing to pay that price. We have been delivered from the penalty of sin. 
We have been delivered from the power of Satan as a result of the blood of Christ and his sacrifice. And one day, by the grace of God, we will be delivered from the presence of sin as we look to him. The second thing I want us to recognize this morning is that we are to remember that Christ, remembering Christ encourages unity in the church. This is an aspect that honestly I don't think I'd ever quite thought about in this way before. Because I know that when I come into communion, I often tend to focus on myself and my relationship with God, which I think we should and are, are told to do. But we are also, in a corporate sense, it encourages unity in the body of Christ. We read a moment ago in Corinthians that they, were, they had these love feasts. And what everybody was doing is they were gorging themselves and they weren't waiting for their brothers and sisters in Christ to eat. And it seemed like the people of means were eating the food and the poor weren't getting any. And so instead of having the corporate aspect, they were focusing so much on themselves instead of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think what God wants to do in the midst of communion, it's union, it's unity, it's bringing us together because we have one common cause, we have one common ground, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the common ground that we have. And because of that common ground, we have a common love. We have a common hope. We have one message to give which unites us together in unity. You see, I should be able to look across the auditorium at, at any brother or sister in Christ and, and have a sense of love in my heart for them. I should have a sense of love and it should bring joy to my heart that we are together unified for the purpose of magnifying and honoring Christ. That we are together partaking of communion in a spirit of unity because we all want to magnify Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And so that encourages unity when we come together and participate in the Lord's table. There's a unity there. And there's a thinking about one another, that there's a, we're in a caring community because of the Lord's table. When we gather together in a right relationship with God, we can more easily live in unity with one another because of the common ground of the cross. The third thing I want to mention this morning is remembering Christ promotes the proclamation of the gospel. When we take the Lord's table, we are actually in a visible way with these symbols proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we look down in our text again, In verse 26, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is a proclamation, and it is a proclamation that is not made silently. It is made verbally. That we verbally and visibly proclaim Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life and we participate by taking the bread which represents his body and drinking of the cup and the juice which represents his blood, 
by doing that, we are proclaiming Jesus is the only way. And we are proud of that. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, as Paul said. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And therefore, we're not ashamed and we proclaim it. And by taking of this memorial, we remember it. We remember Christ through this memorial. We remember Christ through the unity that comes. And by the way, in the process, too, of that unity... There's an examination that takes place. That examination, if you look down in verse 28, it says a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. He examines himself to make sure he's in a right relationship with God and he's in a right relationship with his brothers and sisters in Christ because we should be unified. And that is another aspect, I think, that brings power to the table of the Lord. Now I know there are some people who can't get out of the nursing home and so therefore we will take communion to them and they partake of that communion maybe with one other individual but there is a power in coming together in unity in the body of Christ and being able to do it corporately and showing the love and care and concern for one another that we want to promote Jesus Christ and so therefore if I have little petty differences or misunderstandings or conflict, I am willing to set that aside for the purpose of magnifying the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm willing to set that aside so that I can help magnify the message of the gospel. That's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. And that's what we want to do in remembering Christ our proclamation in participating in the Lord's Supper is to honor Christ. Just as it is in our unity. In our unity, by us getting along, it promotes the honor of Christ. The Lord's Supper, though, is not just a time to remember the events of the Passion. It's also a time to proclaim the beginning of salvation through the new covenant. We proclaim the new covenant when Jesus came and established the New Testament. And he said, when John looked at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Every time we observe this memorial, we proclaim our hope and our trust in the Lord. That's what we're proclaiming our hope and our trust in the Lord. That's why Job could say clear back in Job 19, hundreds of years before Christ, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes and I and not another. How do you and I have that hope? Let's go back to verse 26 again. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death when? Till he comes. He's coming again. He has told us he's coming again. So he is trying to prepare the church, his bride, for his entrance. A bride that is pure, a bride that is unified, a bride that is seeking to honor Christ and proclaim the gospel.
the message of hope to a world. So if you are here this morning and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I have a question for you. Where are you putting your faith and trust? You have to put it somewhere. Where are you putting it? And maybe another question is, where do you get your hope? Where do you get your hope? Washington? Education? Your bank account? Your intellect? Your personality? Or is it in the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is the only hope we have. It's a book that was covered over 1,600 years in coming together by 40 different authors, and it's unified because it's God's holy word, inspired word. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.